0: We got uh, uh, Luke chapter 16. I'm going to grab my. You all seem further back than than normal because we took out this front row of, of pews. You noticed that, huh? I feel. I think it was very helpful for our communion time. You know, you're in a Wesleyan church. Somebody once asked John Wesley, how often should we take communion? Worried that uh, if you take it too often, it could uh, lose its speciality or uniqueness. And to that he said, take it as often as possible. Because through communion, because Christ, it's one of the things that Christ commanded us to do, it's a sacrament and that He also did Himself. Through communion comes a special grace of God. There's a work that God is doing in our lives and in our hearts. Some of you come from different traditions when it comes to communion and, and uh, you, you uh, believe that the, the uh, juice or the wine and the, and the bread actually contain the body of Christ, that he's, it's somehow there with them. Uh, some believe that it's transformed into the body and, and bled, uh, bread of Christ. Uh, you're in a Wesleyan church, so we welcome those beliefs. Or they're wonderful. Uh, and we don't have uh, a communion theology except this. We believe Christ is present in The celebration of communion. So uh, whatever happens or doesn't happen to the elements, uh, we're not sure. We just say we know when we take communion, Christ is present. And therefore, God is doing a work. Grace is happening. And the same is true, another, what we would call sacrament, is the reading of God's Word or the different ways you read it. So if you're reading God's Word or if you're in a Bible study and you're studying God's Word or if you're forced to sit in a church and listen to a pastor and you're hearing God's Word, same too. The work of God is, is, God is at work. His grace is happening. We're in this series called The Forgotten and we're looking at a few of Jesus' parables and this morning... Now we are looking at the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Anybody familiar with that one? All right, we're going to get a little more familiar with it this morning. I just begin by saying Jesus is the master storyteller. Don't you wish you could have been there as part of the crowd or audience? Better to have been a disciple, right? One of his followers listening to him tell these tales, if you will. Listening to him share these stories. He was such a great storyteller that when he began to tell a parable, as we call them, or a story, everybody was silent. Even his enemies. Did you ever notice that? They didn't interrupt his parables. Even when those parables were directed against them because of some sin or misunderstanding they had, they still listened. He was Mesmerizing, And the wonderful thing about these parables is they're not just stories, they are theological truth wrapped into or mixed into or combined with story. You could call them theological tales. So you can dig deep into these stories, unlike regular stories, unlike fairy tales, which are great, by the way. But you can dig into these and find the deep truths of God. But be warned, it's dangerous. See, when you open a book, you're safe because you're the reader, right? (laughs) Even when you go to the movies, generally you're pretty safe because you're the audience, although they have these 3D movie experiences now, and you never know what's going to happen around your, your seat. But even those are safe. But when you listen to a parable of Jesus, be wary, be careful, because you will find yourself drawn in so deeply. That as Jesus is revealing the weaknesses and the faults and the sins of the characters, suddenly you find your weaknesses, your sins, and your faults are being revealed. As Jesus is calling the characters to repentance, you can no longer be a bystander or just a reader or an observer. You are now a character in His parable. And the call to you also is, do I repent or do I remain the same? So with that in mind, let us read, beginning in Luke chapter 16, verse 19, uh, the rich man and Lazarus. Luke 16:19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked Lazarus' sores. received bad things but now he is comforted here and you are in agony and besides all this between us and you a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over from there to us and he answered then I beg you father send Lazarus to my family for I have five brothers let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment Abraham replied they have Moses and the prophets let them listen to them no no Father Abraham, He said, But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Gracious Almighty God, we pray that You would add Your blessing to the reading of Your Word in this, that we would hear, that our hearts would receive, that we would be transformed and live and think and be different. Through the working of your word and your grace in us this morning, in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So, I'll we'll take you along in this parable. This is just wonderful to hear. We can almost just say, sermon over, right? We're done. And you would be going, hey, Thanksgiving's early. Come early. But I think we need to dig a little deeper so that we get what it is, or at least something, that we can take with us today. There are so many directions we could go in any of these parables. But I want to start just by, if you have your notes, asking you to notice all the differences between Lazarus and the rich man. And I'm going to list a few here. I won't get to them all, and you'll probably see some some things uh, that I don't see or didn't see. But I just want you to begin to notice the differences. One, we have a rich man. Notice he's introduced first simply as a rich man, and he's wearing purple clothes. That's big. That was, meant he wasn't just rich, he was uber-rich. He wasn't a millionaire, he was a billionaire. Because only the super-rich could afford this, these purple clothes. They were for kings. They, they made this stuff from the dye of shellfish that they got from uh, the city of Tyre. Or, or Tyre. And they squeeze these shellfish, and it took thousands to get one ounce. And they say that one ounce of purple dye was equal to its weight in gold. Not only is he wearing purple clothing on the outside, but he's got this fine linen. Folks, Jesus wants us to know this man had expensive underwear. That's literally what it says. The finest underwear money could buy, and on the outside, the finest garments money could buy. This is what he's clothed with. And Lazarus is clothed with sores. The rich man feasted lavishly in his house every day. Again, this meant he was part of the uber-rich. Uh, we, we know that the rich had a feast once in a while. R- remember the, prod- the, the father of the prodigal son? He killed the fattened calf. It was a special celebration. This man was killing the fattened calf daily and having parties and, fest- and a festival and feasts daily. He had more than enough. That's an understatement. While he was feasting inside with friends, Lazarus is alone, outside, and in agony of of hunger. Someone said that uh, more than a physical agony, that Lazarus was going through a psychological agony. Because he could hear and smell, maybe he could see the food party. He could smell the food and he longed for it, but couldn't get to it. The rich man lived inside a compound with his guard dogs. Lazarus lived outside as a beggar, meaning he had no home, he owned no land. And the dogs would lick his wounds. And when I say guard dogs, they were not pets in those days. They didn't have dogs like we have them now with pets. They kept them around to protect property, but a lot of times they were were pretty much feral beasts. Things begin to change at death. Did you notice that? The poor man is carried to Abraham's side. What does that mean? Some of your Bibles say uh, carried to Abraham's bosom. Anybody ever sing the song, Rockin' My Soul in the Bosom of Abraham? And you sang it, it was a great song, but I had no idea what it meant, huh? <laughs> so to be in Abraham's bosom didn't mean you were sitting in his lap. Recall when John the Apostle is telling the story of the Last Supper in the Gospel of John, and, and, and someone said, John, ask Jesus the question, why? Because you are next to him, the one who was at Jesus' side, who was at Jesus' bosom. Why was he at Jesus' bosom? Why was he at Jesus' side? Well, that's how they ate. It's the Last Supper. They ate reclined, and when you were reclined next to each other, your head was next to the chest or the, the bosom, uh, the stomach maybe, of the person next to you. So Lazarus in Abraham's bosom doesn't mean he's on Abraham's lap. It meant he's at a feast. And he gets to sit next to Abraham. He has the seat of honor. That's what it meant. So in heaven, we see Lazarus is feasting. But the rich man who gets buried, and by the way, there's another difference. Uh, the, the, The poor sometimes couldn't afford burial. That's why they had these, these poor graves, pauper graves. And it was the greatest injustice to a human being after they died to not allow them to be buried. And Jesus simply leaves that detail out or just wants us to think this guy was so poor they didn't even bury him. But the rich man was buried, meaning he was honored in death. But after death, he ends up in Hades and alone in agony. Do you see the difference there? Alone in agony in Hades versus Lazarus in heaven at a feast next to Father Abraham, the seat of honor. Someone described the parable this way. In life, feasting and pain. In death, feasting and pain. And finally, one last difference is in this parable we see the rich man gets into an argument with Uh, Abraham, whom he calls father, but he likes to argue with his father. We'll put father in quotes from the rich man. And Lazarus remains silent the whole time. But I think his actions speak loudly to us. One more important difference I left out, and you're waiting for this if you read the the email I sent out this week. And that's the next point. Lazarus, which is the Old Testament uh, uh, name uh, Eliezer, which was a priest in the Old Testament, you may remember. Lazarus means the one whom God helps. Say what? Alright, how many of you know when I say this next phrase what I'm referring to? What you talking about, Willis? You there? I sent out an email, by the way, and in the say what, if you look at my email where I wrote the word say what, it's what they call a hyperlink. Click on it and and you will see what you talking about, Willis. You'll see uh, Arnold uh, from Different Strokes saying that. What what do you mean? Does Jesus? Jesus. (laughs) You don't realize what the name Lazarus means. In all of Jesus' parables, only one character has a name, Lazarus. There are none of the Jesus' parables. Think of the parable of the prodigal son I spoke of already. You got the father, you got the older brother, you have the prodigal son. We don't know their names. This is the only parable where Jesus gives someone a name. It's a poor beggar who's crippled, who has no home, who's covered in sores. He's, so, he's unclean. He can't go beg at the temple where he would probably do better. He has to find a place where a lot of people pass by or go through the gates of this rich man. And God, and Jesus says, Oh, yeah, that's the one whom God helps. How can that be? <laughs> Aren't you like me? If you had just read the first three verses, three verses, nineteen through twenty-one, and you didn't know what Lazarus meant, and someone asked you the question, okay, there's a rich man who feasted all the time, purple clothes. There's a poor man laid outside his gate, begging, and the dogs looking. And someone said, okay, pop quiz, which one of these two did God bless? The most. We'll find out he blessed them both, really. Which one of these two would you call the one who God helps? And we would all say, well, the the rich man, duh. But the rich man doesn't even have a name. And in this parable, not saying this is true of all parables, but in this parable, when you're doing this kind of contrasting thing and you notice one has a name, that means Jesus knows Lazarus. Jesus is aware of. God is aware of. He understands and he's not abandoned Lazarus. But it's the rich man who seems distant from God, even though he's rich. And that just blows our mind. But but he's been blessed. He has all these things. But it's the poor man who's given the name. How do we hear... There's so many directions we can go. How do we hear what, what Jesus is trying to say to us or one at least something important Jesus wants us to hear from this parable? And, and I thought it would help us if we, we noticed... Uh, what. T- one big thing that jumps out in this parable are that there are two barriers. There's a gate on earth. Did you notice that? It's a gate. It's a barrier. It's mentioned. And then there's also a chasm that's mentioned in, in Hades or it's in between the area of Hades and in heaven. Don't build your, uh, um, your end times theology on this parable, by the way. Uh, that's not saying, well, in heaven we're going to get to see those who are dead. No, it, it's not what Jesus is saying. He's trying. To, he has another point here. Are you with me? <laughs> Let's get to what he wants to say. So I thought we would look at the barriers. And, and three things to say, and I'll give you all the blanks. They'll so come up to you again, but here, here they are. There are barriers we should cross. There are barriers we shouldn't cross. And there are barriers we cannot cross. That's where we're going this morning. And the first is this. There are barriers we should cross. And I give them, uh, at least for this parable, the name humility and mercy. All the rich man had to do was open his gate. He didn't have to do that. He could have sent one of his servants. By the way, if he was having parties every day, do you think he or his servants were celebrating the Sabbath? He might have been. He wasn't doing the work. But he didn't allow his servants to celebrate the Sabbath. We see just there how far he is from God. All the rich man had to do to relieve the agony of Lazarus was send a servant to bring him some scraps. Did you notice that Lazarus, all he wanted... I'm sure he wanted other things, but the main thing he wanted was just some food. And all he had to do was open that gate and get him some scraps before the dogs got them and take them to him. But he didn't. Now, now we know this. He, know of, he knows of Lazarus. So just don't, don't think he doesn't know. He knows of Lazarus because later on when he's in Hades, he calls Lazarus by name. Even he knows Lazarus' name. But for some reason, he, he, this easy-to-do thing he didn't do. The rich man came to believe, here's what I think, he came to believe that the blessings that God had given to him, he got on his own. He lacks humility. He won't acknowledge that everything he has, his uber-richness, is a gift of of God. How, How could he not see that? Something happened. Some, some, some decision was made early on. When, when he got his first job, he didn't recognize, oh, this is God's gift. When he got his first paycheck, oh, look what God has given to me. He didn't say that. When he got his first promotion. And the man is talented, right? You see that? The guy knows how to manage a business. He knows how to manage other people. He knows how to make money. He is, if he's uber rich, he's uber talented. There are people like that in our world. But he prayed, if you remember the parable from last week, he prayed the same way that uh, the Pharisee prayed. God, aren't you impressed with my talents? (laughs) Aren't you impressed with what I have in this world? And because he didn't acknowledge in humility that everything he had he did not deserve and everything he had was a gift from God, he had no humility. His prayer was like, hey God, look what I have accomplished. Aren't you impressed? And without humility, listen, without humility, there is no mercy. Because mercy requires something of us. Mercy requires that we pass through the gate. The barrier that separates us from others. We live in a culture that constantly is pounding into our minds what we deserve, right? We deserve a break today. Remember that one? <laughs> for all you do, this Pepsi's for you. I know I, I didn't do that one correctly. Are you with me? I need a me day. I deserve a me, some me time. Are you, are you with me here? This is where we live. We are told this all the time. So we think only about ourselves. Our culture is saying, hey, we deserve these things. Others don't deserve what I need. My self-giving. I can't do that because I'm so focused on me and what I need. We've been praying through this list. Every soul has a name. I'm encouraging you to do that. How many of you know your list? You're praying through that. I asked you a few, uh, a few weeks ago and I'm willing to add anybody's name to this. Say, put the name of someone who you want to share the hope of Jesus with. And we began praying in two ways. One was Colossians uh, four three that God would give us opportunity, and secondly was Ephesians uh, I think it's six three that God would give us the words to say. That's an act of mercy, by the way. And and I made sure to be clear, and I'm just clarifying it now. We're not praying that God sends someone into these people's lives to talk to them. You can pray that way. But we're praying, God, give me an opportunity to show mercy to that person. I pray through that list every Tuesday morning. I just want you to know that. But have you noticed it's not easy to do? It's easy to pray, God, bring so-and-so to Jesus, help so-and-so understand you. But it's not easy to actually call him up or send a note or get together with him. Because you have to cross the barrier of mercy to do that. That becomes an act of self-giving. And not only that, I don't know about you, but some of us put people on our list that we're not particularly fond of. That aren't, aren't easy to hang out with and get along with which requires even more mercy. Can you imagine a man covered with sores laying in the ground near your house? What he must smell like? How uncomfortable it would be to show mercy to that that person? Mercy is hard. It means we have to show God's love to those, to people who make us uncomfortable. How about inviting people to church? We have these new invitation cards. I meant to have one with me, but they're outside. And I encourage you to invite someone to church. That's an act of mercy. Invite someone to our Sunday Night Live if you're in the youth group. That's an act of mercy. And you notice that mercy is not only uncomfortable, but it's not always returned politely as well. You can show mercy and get a no. you can get a mercy and, and get something rude when we when we have these outreaches, they're acts of mercy. Why? Because they force us to get out of where it 's comfortable here and go out and talk to and meet people and share the love of Jesus with them. There are barriers that we should cross. This rich man was the recipient of many of God's blessings, but he didn't acknowledge they came from God. He didn't humble himself before God, and so he refused to cross the barrier of mercy. And secondly, notice this. There are barriers that we shouldn't cross. There are barriers we should cross, and there are also barriers that shouldn't be crossed. We turn our attention now to Lazarus, the beggar. I just point out two barriers he didn't cross, and they'll come up on your screen here. Bitterness in self pity we need to know he's not a beggar because he wanted to be a beggar in this day and age if you were chronically ill if you were handicapped and if you didn't own land there was nothing else you could do they didn't have specialized vocational training um, this was the only way you could make a living if stephen hawking had been alive in this day and age you know stephen hawking one of the greatest minds of the are we in the 21st century or of our age and he had Lou Gehrig's disease. He became wheelchair bound. Couldn't even speak. If he had been living in the first century, he would have been a beggar. And, but that is a, a legitimate job in the first century. I just want you to know that it wasn't some someone who just gave up on life. He could have just Lazarus could have stayed home and not begged. <laughs> this was his way to help feed himself, so he wasn't a burden uh, to others but that doesn't make it any easier, does it? (laughs) He was begging in front of this rich man's house. I I said earlier, he probably didn't go to the temple, mainly because of the sores kept him unclean. And he was in agony because he longed for the food. But in his agony, he's silent, and he does not say what I might say, what you might say, what we think he would say. God, why have you abandoned me? He did not fall into self-pity. God, why don't You care? Why is this happening? I don't understand. Don't we say that a lot in the midst of trial and tragedy? I don't understand. I don't understand. I'm not saying we shouldn't say it. But when you say it, say it to God with a call, not necessarily to help you understand, but with a call, God, do the work in me so that I do not doubt Your goodness. He doesn't fall into self-pity. Rather, and this one's hard, he sees how God has been helping him. Let me point out to you some ways God helps Lazarus. How does he get to where he's laid? Somebody has to carry him, whether it's friends, whether it's family, we don't know. But that's a help of God getting him to this place. That there is a place he can go. He can't go to the temple. He's unclean. He can go to these, this rich man's house. That there is an uber rich man nearby that people can carry him to on their way to work. That's the help of God. This next one's an oo is in a yucky point. That the dogs lick his wounds. I just want you to understand that, that that's it, it's a horrible thing in the first century. Dogs, nobody liked dogs. They were considered, like I said, feral animals. They ate scraps and they guarded and they, they chased away whatever uh, vermin you didn't want around. And if you saw this, uh, you might think gross, but in the first century, you would think that's that's horrible what's happening. But there was some knowledge that dogs' saliva heals wounds. And we can't be sure that, uh, that Lazarus knew that, but we get the advantage of looking at it and going, wow, God was helping. And even though he didn't get very much, he stayed alive from day to day, meaning that he got some food. Are you with me? He got at least something. And for those little helps, it's unimaginable to think this, for those little helps, Lazarus recognizes the goodness of God. And when I say little, we have to put that in quotes. Because the little helps of God are big. Whatever thing God chooses to do in our life is big. So you go back to the Old Testament story of Elijah who wanted to hear God speak to him and, and there was the earthquake and there was the whirlwind, right? And there, I can't remember the other thing that there was, and, but God wasn't speaking. And then there was, remember the story? of there? That's God speaking and that was big not that the whisper was big it's because it was god who was whispering so the little we got to put them in quotes helps of god are big things if we recognize them as god's help Lazarus saw God's help and he understood this. That God's purpose is not to relieve us of agony. It's not to remove trouble from our lives. I'm going to say that again because I don't like it. (laughs) That the purpose of God is not to relieve our agony. That His purpose in our life is not to take away all of our suffering. And we think that, don't we? And we have these sayings. If you do good, good will return to you. Is that true? Found that to be true? (laughs) If you show mercy to others, other people will show mercy to you. Now, if you show mercy to others, God will show mercy to you. But you don't get that mercy back from other people, huh? Maybe when we hear that, when someone says karma, you to just spit on the ground. That's not true. It would be great if that were true, or maybe it wouldn't be a good thing. But that's not the truth. And so when we think God's purpose is to relieve my agony or remove my situation, what does that do to our hearts when we think that way and God's not doing it? What does that do to our opinion of God? It turns us against Him. And because Lazarus refused to think that way, because he saw God's, quote, little helps, he did not have bitterness in his heart because it would have been easy, so easy. In fact, you and I are guilty of this. When you read this parable, we are bitter at the rich man, right? <laughs> you want to go over and, and take his purple robes and wrap them around his neck. And ju- Okay, that's getting too violent for a Sunday morning. But notice that, that Lazarus, he could have pushed through those gates. He could have crawled over. He could have told his friends, throw the gates down. He could have gone over the threshold into having bitterness, to having anger against this one percenter. He could have organized a march. He could have got on social media and said everything that was wrong with this rich man. But he refused to allow bitterness to take over his heart. And that has got to be the biggest of the little helps that God gave to Lazarus. And I think probably the main point of this parable, especially for us who live in a world today where, where bitterness is celebrated. He shows Himself to be a true child of Abraham, a true child of God, by not holding bitterness in His heart. I went out yesterday. Unfortunately, I had to run some errands and the Christmas holiday shopping has started. And with within within just... Five minutes, I heard more honking than I had heard in the previous five weeks. Uh, one, you know, the guy was going straight at a four-way stop, person turning left in front of him, had the right away, way, but uh, this guy went and this person didn't like it. I'm not going to say genders, okay? But that person only had to slow down a little bit and just laid on the horn. The other person was a mile away, still going with the horn. I said, you feel better? That's why we do it, for the comfort. We, we choose bitterness because it comforts us. Lazarus rejected bitterness because he wanted the comfort that comes only from God. Uh, you know, not a half mile later, uh, someone getting off the freeway, San Dimas, you can tell the person was uh, on their phone, the person behind them, the light screen gives, it was a friendly, it was a tap honk, It's one of those, I like those, you know, tap honk. The person did not like being tap honked. So off the phone now, I'm just going slow, there's, there's four, five, six cars behind them. Now they're all honking at them. And then, well, the next one I was in a parking lot and it wasn't me, I'll tell you that. But uh, don't you want to honk? <laughs> Someone ought to do this. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Take that song and just put honking so- so- uh, horns in it. I don't have that talent. It would, it would go viral on the Internet. When in heaven, when the cry of the rich man reaches the ears of Abraham and Lazarus. You wonder what Lazarus thinks, huh? So remember, this is not how it's really going to be in the afterlife. But Jesus is is telling this parable to say, here's Lazarus finally being comforted with Abraham. That's really cool. Cool. Right, father of the, the patriarchs, father of the of the nation of Israel, and uh, and here is this guy who ignored him totally, he could have shown him mercy. Now he's crying for mercy, and you're thinking, Ah, Lazarus is like, Nah, mm, forget you. But 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 look at what <laughs> this is crazy. Look at what Abraham has to say. In verse 26, Besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot. Who would want to go? Are you following? Who wants to go from heaven to the flames of Hades? Why would Abraham say that? Can you not picture Lazarus whispering in his ear? Hey, he he needs help. I'll go. He can't go. He's not allowed to go. Do you see the total lack of bitterness? This is what we would say is a true child of God. We'll say it in the Jewish way: a true child of Abraham. Because Abraham, if you know your Old Testament, he was, he was his one gift was hosting. <laughs> he would never leave someone outside the gate or or let someone stranger pass by. He welcomed the strangers and he fed them. One time he did that. Ended up being an angel, two angels, and. Uh, um, the angel of the Lord as well. And he was able to have compassion. Lazarus was able to have compassion on the rich man because he chose in this life not to cross the barrier of bitterness and self-pity. All right, one more. There are barriers we cannot cross. We're going to return to the rich man now. Talk about the hardened heart. So there are barriers we should cross. Mercy. There are barriers we shouldn't cross, but could if we chose to. Self-pity and bitterness. Then there are barriers that we can't cross. Maybe a better way to say is we can no longer cross. So it's a weird scene because here is the rich man and he's having an argument with Abraham. He says, father. Now, when you call someone father, that's a term of respect. That means I think you're wonderful. I want to be like you. Does the rich man show us in any way that he wants to be like Abraham? Not only that, he he decides to have an argument with with Abraham. You wonder if he calls him father or just in a way to kind of manipulate him. Hey, we're family because even Abraham responds to him as his son. But he shows no desire to be like Abraham. He shows no desire to uh, to. Follow Abraham's example of showing hospitality to those in need. And the rich man seems to be only aware of one thing, his agony. On earth, he was focused on his comfort, right? That's why he didn't show mercy. I want to be comfortable. I want to be comfortable. Showing mercy, uncomfortable. Not going to do it. In Hades, he's still focused on his comfort. He can't let it go. And so he wants Lazarus to be sent. Notice he's still doing the rich man thing. He's ordering Lazarus around. He doesn't have his other servants. Maybe they're not going to go to Hades. So he's saying, well, send Lazarus. He's still doing the rich man thing. Send him to serve me because I need people to take care and make me comfortable. That's what I do. That's who I am. He's still doing the rich man thing. Then the argument begins to break out. Well, well, send Lazarus to my family. And Abraham says, no, that won't help. Yes, if someone rises from the dead. And Abraham says, no, that, that won't help. By, and way, by the way, point in case, I know when we think, uh, when, when um, Abraham says, even if someone rises from the dead, they won't believe, surely that is alluding to Jesus. But it's also pointing to the other Lazarus. Remember the other Lazarus? <laughs> Who rose from the dead. And you thought, well, that would have convinced the high priests and, and the Pharisees not to kill Jesus. Just the opposite. They wouldn't listen to the prophets. They weren't going to listen to the resurrected Lazarus. In fact, if you go back and read that story, they wanted to have him killed. I guess you would say again, or wanted him to die a second time. Hmm. What's shocking here is what is missing. There is absolutely no remorse for his lack of mercy. There is absolutely no remorse for for his lack of love for others. There is absolutely no shame for the way he treated Lazarus in this world. His heart is so hard that that also is the chasm that cannot be crossed. You notice it doesn't say he wants to be with Abraham. We think that. We think, well, people in hell, they're going to want to be in heaven. No, they won't. They won't like heaven. Heaven is a place that is filled with the character, the holiness, the presence of God, our God, the Father of mercy. If you don't like mercy, if your heart is filled with bitterness, you're not going to like God. You're not going to like heaven. You want to be out of your discomfort. Everybody wants that. That's going to go on for eternity. That's why we get the comfort of God for eternity. Aaron and I just finished reading uh, *Pilgrim's Progress* uh, together. Uh, the um, uh, I almost want to say Paul Bunyan, John Bunyan uh, book. If you've never read it, I encourage you to read it. Get it in an updated English uh, version because it's very hard in the in the old English. We didn't even try that. And at the end of the book, Christian and his his companion, Hopeful, make it to the city of God. They make it to heaven. And the doors are open and they're welcomed in and it's a wonderful celebration and Bunyan is wise. He doesn't let us see what happens inside. The gates close on the reader. You go, oh man, I wanted to go in with them but you don't get to until one day, right? But right on their heels is another pilgrim. His name is Ignorance. And Ignorance has not repented. He has not wanted the heart of God. He has not wanted to change his ways. He has not wanted to, to let God change him but he makes it there nonetheless. And he says, let me in. And they say, I don't think so. <laughs> you don't belong here. And so they take him to a door. Now you think they have to take him all the way to hell, right? No. Not too far from the pearly gates, there's a door that leads into the abyss. That's scary. That someone can get so, think they're so close to heaven. But they're not. They don't want it. They don't want the heart that's filled with love and care and concern that's empty of bitterness, that's filled with mercy and doing the mercy of Jesus to others. They just want the the comfort that's there, but they wouldn't like the place, and so they end up going to the abyss. Someone has said, I think it's C.S. Lewis, that hell is actually a place of mercy for those who reject God because they would be miserable in heaven. There are barriers... We should cross humility and mercy. There are barriers we shouldn't cross. Bitterness and self-pity. And there are barriers we cannot cross. The hardened heart. It just appears to me, and others have said this, John Wesley being one, that the heart can become so hard that even those in hell will not want to change their ways. They will not want to repent. They will not want to let God do a work in them. And they will stay that way for eternity. And that would be part of, if not the main part of their agony. The gates of heaven are open to those who show mercy, to those who are filled with gratitude for all that God and recognize all that God has given to them and want more of God's little helps. Jesus said, be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. So here's a challenge for us, simply this this morning as we close. Will you look for and acknowledge God's little helps? (laughs) Maybe it's a help to let go of Bitterness. Maybe it's the help to show mercy that are those that are hard to show mercy to. Maybe it's you just need to recognize, hey, God has not abandoned you. He is very active in your life, and you need to see those little helps that He's giving to you today. The church, His Word, all those are little helps, communion. (laughs) We go on, but we'd be here till Thanksgiving, right? Will you look for and acknowledge God's little help? Stand with me, please, as I close this in prayer and the worship team comes to meet us.